Oh, All right. Okay. No. Three, <laughs> two, one. Gamers, if I'm if I'm reaching you now, it means that the recording actually worked. Can you put like a low pass filter over that? Please send your one dollar donations to Patreon.com/slash/DarkTides to continue this broadcast. Without it, I can't continue to reach you. Do it now. Create a second account. Do it now. All right. I've received enough donations. My power source has grown bitter. Oh, wait, I'm coming into high fidelity. Whoa. My goodness. Whoa. I'm seeing the full cast appear before me right now. It's time for an Everon episode. Hope, you slowly open your eyes to extraordinarily high ceilings, almost cathedral-esque ceilings in their architecture with the, the visible wooden beams, the sloping heights, the large windows, the stone floors. It is an incredible area you're in. You blearily look around and you see Heath sitting next to your bed. He is reading through a series of papers. Morning, evening... Whatever time it is. Hi. Good morning. Eight o'clock. Better than usual. <clears throat> Flips over one page. So, seems you all went up against a persona. Very interesting. Yeah. Rather high end. Good. Flips through it. It seems you all, after leaving the cage, slowly began to feel weary and... He, like, flips again. Uh, yeah. That was... Seems you went under some type of hypnosis. It drained you, you all. And you, you like, blearily look around the room and you see the rest of your party are in similar <laughs> beds. You're in a, a metal-framed bed with quite a large uh, mattress, big mm. uh, white blankets, and one of those kind of typical itchy uh, hospital blankets. And he's looking through, he's like, except for... He looks over to, you see, Ward standing facing the wall in the opposite corner of the, the area, and you... He's just singing to himself. 
you just realize you realize now you are in the infirmary of Tia at Whitechapel. Yeah, we were doing doing good, and then Vesper, he all right? He nods, Olivia? and you see Vesper is sitting next to uh, Olivia's bed. He nods at you. Olivia is still asleep. Heath crosses his legs and sips a cup of tea. You did all. You all did very well. Considering the challenge, a persona is not something most individuals can handle. Uh, so, must have had a, a user nearby or something. Personas, they can't go too far there. No, the the user was the sword. The sword? Yes, it was more of a guardian than the persona. It was erected in order to protect the sword. The sword's been taken into tier investigations at the moment. It is yours by right, as you were the team that claimed it, but uh, Anne and Charlotte are looking over it at the moment just to check. Right. But no, they are, it is, a persona has a host. Once it loses its host, it becomes... Something else. Uh, but if it is held by its sacred oath to protect an item, then it doesn't face the same situations. It remains a persona to protect the item. At least that's what the old writings said. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, we're alive. We got the sword. Uh, Yeet. Yay, team. Man, I don't feel great. Heath slowly looks over and you see the other beds now. And you see seven or eight other tier operatives in these beds. And they seem to have been there for a while. The flowers at their um, tables are growing old. He looks back to you. You're doing rather well compared to the others. Right. <sighs> oh, okay. Um, do I even want to ask what happened to them? or? Uh... Heath turns and looks at them and he reaches over and he picks a, a, paper, a stack of papers off one and he flicks through it. <clears throat> yeah, well, most of their papers have it wrong anyway. And he slaps the papers closed and puts it back on the table. How long have we been here? Two days. God. Oh. Amelia's going for her operation. It's fine. Right. This sucks. What do you mean? I don't know. I it's You did the mission. I'm yeah, I mean Right. It technically is all great, but I mean 
Is this gonna be every mission? I mean, I mean, I know what I signed up for, uh, technically. But I mean, these people, the family, and... I don't know. It's not every mission, but some missions. He gestures to the others in the bed. They're my family too. You learn to bear it. Oh. I'm, I'm sorry. Two teams down. That's not great. Um. It's fine. I've mean to visit for a while. Looks after them. Very different circumstances. Still, all of us were under your leadership. I. I know. What does that say about me? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're not dead, so you're not a complete screw up yet. Not yet. I pay attention, Mom. <laughs> yes, but there's worse things. But you're all here. And they're here too. So, um, want to tell me a story about them? Who they are? If they're your family, well, you've gotten to meet mine. Wouldn't mind meeting yours. You won't be talking to them for a long time. He slowly swivels his chair and look at them. They're my team. My brothers and sisters. Wormwood. I was... When we first got separated, I was trained under Warwick. With Donnie and... Darnell and... Hugo brothers then when we got older they decided I was too angry Mm -hmm. too violent and Warwick was a bit too soft on me a bit too loving so they gave me Tamerly she's she's incredible as well but um but yeah then I trained with these guys a bit and we did a bunch of missions together great stuff best in their class they would have been special operatives within two years three years but um we got a mission in Mongolia Mongolia is a harsh country there's only a few people there and most of it's just wastelands but we're out there something out there with us too we were feeling it in our dreams this presence it was stalking us it was weird we we never felt like prey before we were there one by one it took them over 
if we would fall asleep, it would take more. I didn't realize until it had all of them. That they tried to kill each other. So I stopped. I broke every limb in their bodies. I broke every last one. He kind of gestures his wounds. They tried to kill me too. I stopped them from moving. By that stage, I had sent a stress signal out to Tia, but I knew there were days away. Mongolia is a hard place to reach, and it is a desolate place. It is. It takes some time. I stayed awake because I knew if I fell asleep it would take me and it would kill every last one of them so I stayed awake day after day after day with them screaming clawing at me they would use their teeth to drag themselves towards me and I would break more of their bones to stop and sisters. Then I heard some music and I thought at that stage I was having visions. I was seeing things. I was hearing people. I was seeing mum and dad. I was seeing you guys. I was seeing Hugo. I was seeing everyone. But then I heard music and I hadn't heard music yet. So I followed it and I found a tribe of traveling gypsies. They recognized some of my tattoos. They knew I was I had come from gypsies as well. So I I didn't know their language, but I was able to kind of explain it, and they gave me the gist. They drew in the sand, and they kind of explained it. It's something that's haunted those lands for a long time, for a long time. They called it the Dream Eater, or the Dream Catcher. I called it Sandman. They helped me create something with the... With the fey magic that I knew, we made a clay pot. Mm -hmm. I engraved it with the only fey runes I knew. And I fell asleep. I took the pot with me. And I met Dream there. And I caught him. He took everything I had. He looks at the rib. It took me days. I caught him. And I held him in the pot. I woke up and he was still in there. I could feel it rattling inside. But they were still rabid. They were still mad. We had uh, parachuted in, so we still had some of our parachutes. So I created a series of slings. I put the, the pot on my back. And he was... Boy, how he was it heavy. Strung it to my back. I put all of them on the parachutes and I dragged them. I dragged them through the wasteland. Days and days. So I came to a city. And my signal hadn't even reached here. It never got through. So I called them there. Fuck. He gestures at them. These are the wounds I deserve. I did this to them. 
Heath's eyes grow even more hollow. And you realize that he's not even really looking at you anymore. He's not hearing you anymore. Sometimes I think I'm cursed. When I was a general, back in the Fae, a similar thing happened. Me and my men rode out, and we met the enemy. They pincered us, they used the forest on one side of us. I remember waking up under one of the bodies of my soldiers. And I got up and the mist had taken the land. It was late. The enemy had long since rode off. The blood of my men was like pools and rocks by the ocean. It was like a swampland, butchered. It was just me. Sometimes I think I'm cursed to always be the one carrying the memory on of the fallen. I feel like I'm cursed to always survive. Always be the last one left. And my nickname, my, so with Tear, you get given your, uh, code names by your brothers and sisters based on the missions you do, but also on your powers. Donnie, Dark Sun. Mm-hmm. Pretty self-explanatory. Hugo, the library. Me, Songbird. I wanted it because it felt like home. When I was dragging them, one of them called out. They called me Morningstar. They called me the devil. Heath. And it stuck. Because they named it. That's the official one. He looks them. the devil no you're not the devil to me yeah but yeah I know saying sorry doesn't change anything but I'm so sorry that happened to you 
here I was throwing myself my own pity party thinking that you were off living a fantastic life in Tear and I was having this I <sighs> foolish thoughts of a foolish girl I'll be honest Hope get out if you can get out this isn't a life worth living doesn't matter if Hope's OK's chosen, if AK's chosen it, doesn't matter. Get out. I'm trying to get out and it's clawing me back in at every angle. Then I'd lose you again. I'm not worth holding on to. <laughs> I'm the morning star. And you're worth it to me. And... I'm sorry if you don't like that answer. Mm. It's fine. Stands up. Brushes hand on the pants. But my blood is not on your hands. If I die because I made a stupid choice, it is on me and not on you. No more blood shall be on you. He, like, tips his head to you. Yes. But I'm your teacher. All of you. And he looks at the group. <clears throat> My responsibility. Thanks, Donovan. That's great. He crosses into the middle room and claps loud and uh, awakens the rest of you. <clears throat> Good morning, team. Morning. What? He's still off in the corner Good. looking at the wall, singing to himself. Good news. Well, uh, I like good news. Guess what? No, I don't like guessing. Guess what? No. We're taking a day off. What? Because Ebenezer rolls over and puts the blanket back over himself. None of you have sustained major injuries. You just need rest. You and your coughing, your smoker's cough. You're going to meet me. House many faces. One hour. I thought Mush. you said we were taking the day off. Yes, exactly. Okay. Don't take the day off can in the it, city. Can it be one hour and one day? No. Okay. I don't like how much you question me, Ebenezer. We're going to work on this. You hear me, boyo? I'm not sure I'm actually awake. <laughs> Come on, Ed. Uh, I'm, I'm okay, okay oh. all right, I'm going. You guys slowly get out of your beds, uh, put your boots on, put your jackets on. Olivia's immediately looking at Vesper yeah. being like, where's the knife? He like puts it down on your on your lap and uh, he gets up as well. You guys slowly file it out of the room until there's just uh, hope you're putting on your boots and Heath waiting for you when one of the uh, people in the beds screams and Heath like kind of twitches a little bit before walking over and you see the infirmary lady is making her way over towards them like thrashing in their bed. Heath makes his way over and they grab Heath by the, the shirt and pull him towards them. And they're like choking out the name Morningstar before uh, the infirmary lady pulls them off him and tries to settle them back down. And he takes a few steps back and he kind of like brushes the shirt down. She's going to um, go up behind and just hold his hand. It's fine. It's fine. And he makes his way to the door. And he leaves. 
and the the person kind of is like blinking a bit and is coughing and they've been given some uh, medicine they're kind of settling back and down the bed but they haven't gone back to sleep and they're looking around trying to kind of see where Heath is and they they look at you <laughs> you're safe he brought you home it's over <laughs> Ah, devil. He brought you home. So I say, he's like leaning back and he's kind of like clutching onto the, the bars. They're kind of, the, the medicine's kind of taking effect and they're kind of zoning out again. So I say, it's better the devil you know. Than the devil you don't. It was our devil. We needed that. He slowly rests his head back down. Better the devil you know than the devil you don't. We cut back to the house of many faces. You're all standing in the living room around the, the table. Heath is going through the many different keys. Going through them. Uh, uh, this one. He pulls one off the hook, closes the blinds, opens up different ones, locks it, unlocks it, blows out the candle, and the pathway before you changes again. And he uh, throws open the door, and you guys see a very different landscape before you. You see rolling hills, huge, tall mountains with great trees upon them. It's not very foresty, but huge mountains. And the ocean out before is probably about five, ten k's off. There's just these rolling hills that lead down to it. And he kind of branches out his hands like, that's a day off. All right. And he like walks past, like past you all and starts pushing you all towards the door. And he makes his way over towards the, the larder and starts pulling things out and like throwing them into a basket. Uh, what are you all wearing for your day off? We'll go around the table. Ebenezer. <clears throat> Ebenezer is wearing a cream-coloured suit with a white shirt mm-hmm. and a blue bow tie. Basically the same thing as always, but in brighter, summery colours now. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same glasses, but he has now cleaned them. So oh, he can good. see a little bit better now, which is pretty good. Um, and, and a slightly more tan pair of leather dress shoes. He's feeling very relaxed. You've never seen him this dressed down. and His, his jacket is not buttoned up and he's not wearing Ooh. a vest. Very good. He's really let loose. Yeah. All right, Hope. Um, yeah, she is in a crop top, kind of tank top um, with some shorts. Very Kim Possible All right. vibes. Um, still wearing her Doc Martens, but her hair's down. She, she's chill. Uh, Olivia is in a blue and white checkered sundress um, and she's got white sneakers on and a white cardigan um, just in case she gets a little bit cold and her hair is in a single French plait tied with a very silky light blue ribbon. Mm-hmm. I'll say uh, Vesper is standing next to you. He's wearing his typical suit pants but just the kind of um, shirt and it's rolled up to the shot um, to the um, elbows and like the top two buttons are undone. They look like they've stepped out of the 50s. Yep. 
Go swing dancing. Yeah. Hickory is wearing some short blue swimmer shorts, some thongs, Ooh. a white singlet, and he's got sunscreen Ooh. on his nose and across his eyes. Zinc across his That's cheeks. That's right. Yep. Very yeah, good. Exactly right. Yeah. The green zinc. Sun <laughs> safe like a legend. Yep. Very good. Is he wearing a hat? You can tell he's uh, the Australian. He's not wearing a hat. <laughs> he's not wearing a hat. Very no good. bucket hat. But it's okay. He's put a bunch of zinc in his hair. Yeah. So. No bucket hat? Slicked back with zinc. Oh, the white oh, streak. No. for the sunshine. <laughs> no, that's Randy. Oh. Would do that. Randy's not in the show. Uh, <laughs> get reminded we're very thankful. The ward um, has not changed out of his clothes since the hunt. He rarely ever changes since it's still a bit of a hassle for him. And he doesn't sweat. He doesn't mm-hmm. exude dirt. and He doesn't get dirty. So the clothes don't really get dirty unless he's actively rolling around in dirt um oh, that's just a sunday afternoon activity he is not getting the memo that this is a day off yeah okay <laughs> um heath is wearing about carve high brown uh riding boots he is wearing really tight fitting uh black pants that go up and it's like the three buttoned at the top so it's going quite up to like past his like hip bone type of height and then one of those almost like pirate-esque flowing uh shirts with like the multiple straps that <laughs> but tighten i don't want to be a pirate <laughs> Of um, course, type of thing. It's like the really flowy arm I bet stuff. It's silk, isn't it? No, it's it's like um uh those really like wide soft cotton. knit um wide knit one where you yeah. can like oh. the, like large knit nice. um, ones. Uh, he's piled a whole like chunk of a wheel of cheese into a basket, a loaf of bread. He's like piling different um spreads into it. Uh, he's like chucked a couple of, like different tomatoes and pears and all that stuff. He's grabbed like three bottles of wine a handful <laughs> of glasses he's chucking into the basket he picks it up and he marches out after you guys and you emerge out onto the field and he kicks open a like a what you would think would contain at, at the outside contained firewood outside he kicks it open and he grabs up an old bone from within it and he chucks the bone out and you see as it travels is a dog is the the bone of like a dog leg and it materializes into the black dog Aww. that would like uh, border the the area around it in the German forest, and it streaks off, like getting all of its energy out across the fields, running out as he leads you all down across this large open field. the The house of many faces is just this very out of place brick building with uh, moss and ivy growing up it in just the middle of this large open field that's just craning its way down towards sand dunes and then the beach. begin to head your way down out of it. Heath is whistling, you guys are marching in tow, and Heath calls out, 
Ebenezer Boyer. Right, yeah. Give us a story. Oh, a story from the old country. There's no such thing as marching without a story. Come on. <laughs> All right. Well, <clears throat> there was one day uh, when I was <clears throat> when I was a wee lad, and uh, I went... I went walking uh, in in the woods with my with my father, and uh, we we do this all the time. We go walking all the time. But this one time, we were walking down this new pathway which we haven't we hadn't been down before. It's the first couple of times, you know, we'd been in this area, and it was a fork in the road, as there is in all good spooky dark forests. And of course, being like good intrepid uh, explorers that we were, we went left. Of course, we all, you always go left. That's that's not. And my par and I were walking hand in hand through the trees and it's getting darker and deeper and we're going down and down and we ended up having to walk over, over rocks and things and we're thinking, you know, I, I don't think there's a pathway to here anymore. We're basically just walking over over the, the woodland. I don't I think we've left the path like back a little bit. And so we turn around and we do not recognise the way we come. There's no path. The the rock face that we thought we just climbed down is nowhere to be seen. We're just kind of in this sort of um, uh, like concave ditch of, of just uh, flowers and, and, and trees and everything. Uh, the sunlight is all being blocked out by, the, by the, the leaves above us. And we're thinking, okay, well, we've only been working for like 20 minutes, so we can't be that far away. We'll just try and retrace our steps back, back to where we came. Problem is, there's no sunlight. We can't see the direction of the sun. It's all dappled on the ground, so we can't use that to navigate. Everything looks exactly the same. There's no... There's no pathway. There's no... All the trees look the same. And we're looking around and I'm thinking, Mum is going to be so... Do you, do you say do you say Mum? Do Irish people say Mum? I don't know. Mum. Ma? Mother? Mother, <laughs> mother is going to be so annoyed. That's more like it. If we're, if we're late for, for dinner. Because, you know, we don't get fish a lot in the area where we are. Uh, well, we do. But anyway, but she was cooking a special salmon that night. And we can't be late for dinner because she's cooking the salmon. And she's bought the whole thing. And the neighbours are coming over. So I thought, all right, that's a bit of a problem. We've got to make sure we get back. So uh, so we like, should we split up? Do we keep together? So we decide to keep together. We walk hand in hand and we say, well, one way or another, we're just going to keep walking and eventually we'll find the edge of, of something. So we're walking down and we feel like we're going in circles and circles. And then and then we look over and there's this sort of uh, one little patch of light that's coming through the, the canopy above us. And we think, right, that's something, right? We should go towards that. And we walk towards it. And you'd never believe, no word of a lie, I tell you right now, there was a little, a little mound of, you know, like the, uh, the bluebells, right? Mm -hmm. Like the, the long green uh, leaves of bluebells. It looked like that. Mind you, this is, this is, a, this is like getting, getting towards like the middle of winter. So there's, there's, not, much, um, there's not much like flowers or anything around. And there's certainly no bluebells. And we look over and lo and behold, there's this blue light shining from on the ground. And it's coming through a hole in in the canopy above and we're thinking that, that can't be no bluebells there's no bluebells at this time of year we walk over and there's this one it's not a bluebell mind this one blue flower that's just one blue flower just one in the middle of this patch of greenery middle of winter freezing cold we're wrapped up with our parkers and our, our scarves and everything we're trying to stave off the cold walking arm in arm with me and my dad Hot thermos of coffee we've been sipping on the whole time. Freezing cold. Bright green foliage. Never seen anything like it before. And I tell you what, no word of a lie. We walk towards that thing. We both start getting all, all light-headed. 
everything starts swimming. The trees look like they're like moving and twisting around. I tell you what, true story, we black out. Dead out to the world we were. Right. Mother was furious we were so late home. We finally managed to crawl our way back out and we find a road. Someone someone got us picked us up and hitchhike and we go back to where the car was. Didn't get home until like 2 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> Heath claps his hands and laughs. I tell you, boy, oh, there be fairies in those forests. Well, since that day, I don't doubt it. <laughs> Cavendish. Yeah. Give us a story of your homeland. Oh. You guys are reaching the point where the sand gives, like the uh, grass gives way to the sand. You are reaching, find the beach. There is not even a lick of wind. It is still, and the water is that perfect cyan color. It is the most glorious of beaches. Nice. Uh, Hickory cracks open a cold one. Cold one of VB <laughs> six pack that he brought along oh. with us. Oh. 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 Got it uh, shipped over from his homeland, uh, specifically for events like this. We don't drink that Foster's shit. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you a quick story from back uh, back home uh, with my family. Uh, my brother and I, uh, Stuart, uh, yeah, he's a weird one. Um, we were doing our classic uh, looking around the bush for fun because uh, we were bored. Um, and in my homeland, Australia... Uh, we have these little creatures. They're sort of small, but they're like a boulder. Imagine mm-hmm. that. They're drop bears. Boulder on legs. No, 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 no. Not quite. I'm just uh, these ones you. live underground. <laughs> um, and so uh, a fun little trick, well, fun little, not trick, but what we do to entertain ourselves is we would hide <laughs> and wait for them to come out. And then we'd run and jump on top of them, and then they'd go... <laughs> And they'd zoom off, and we just ride them for, for hours on end. Uh, it's the, mo- it's the most joyous thing ever. Micah, is this a true story? <laughs> for sure. Uh, now, one time, unfortunately, my brother uh, ran into a tree um, while doing so, mainly because he was uh, riding on it, um, and then uh, he decided to look up and look back at me got clobbered on the side of the head by a tree. Um, and so I had to drag him home. Um, yeah. That's why I'm the smart one. <laughs> While Cavendish is relaying the story, um, a bunch of you, uh, there basically, there's a pathway of the main kind of field area that leads onto the beach, and there's a series of trees that kind of border it. Uh, a bunch of you are just kind of enjoying the, the midday sun, and the rolling sands, uh, a few others go off into the kind of a tree area with heath and gather a few branches. You come back to uh, an area of sand, you flatten out an area and pile up the, the sticks. You do notice that heath doesn't cast lighting spell like he does up at the house. Uh, he uses a flint and steel and ignites the, the fire here and uh, begins to like pile things. He like uh, digs a hole in the sand near it and like starts stuffing these like weird metallic balls in there and you're starting to notice as he's like wrapping it up you start to notice oh he's wrapping potatoes in foil uh, and oh. sticking them in the sand nice. like underneath the fire potatoes. as the fire is starting to, to go uh, he's like chopping up tomatoes and not gonna lie I thought they were Christmas decorations for just a split second there just a an Irishman not recognise a potato when he sees one okay well no that's just that's a bit presumptuous isn't it that's really that is a little offensive. That's a little, um, I'm sorry. 
Uh, oh, like, so she's <laughs> condescending now too. All right, <laughs> <laughs> all right, fine. Heath and Ebenezer are like on one side of the fire, the two of yeah. you are on the other side. Like that's that's the a Irish fish. side of the fire. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can't come over this line. I'm drawing a line at the sand. Just because I don't have an accent. <laughs> Ethan uh, claps his hands together. All right, we have bread, we have cheese, we have everything else. We need a fish. Ward. Ooh. Well, yes. Bring me a fish. Go fish. That's your job. Okay. Fish. <laughs> well, uh, here you go. You can use that as your, your bait. Here you go. And your they love cheese. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a moment where Ward kind of like he's he's dug up a worm. He 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 turns to Heath and hands the worm to Heath like fish. Heath takes in one hand, passes it to the other, and hands it back to you. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh oh okay. Um, I will go get that's, a. That's the base. You put that on the hook to cook to, f- to catch the fish. A fish. They swim in the ocean. He grabs Ward's shoulders, who's yes. facing Heath like a wet, and like turns him round. The ocean <laughs> winds up like a- yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The two of the two of them head off towards the ocean, so Ebenezer can explain the concept of fish of um, fish. The the sun is kind of just uh, cresting across the sky. Food is kind of being prepared. Is there any conversations anyone wants to have? Any specific characters? This is just a chill episode for I think kind of core I think you chatting. Should- Character development, and then just every now and then just cut back. Cut back to this. <laughs> yes, I yeah. would doing. love that. Yeah. Right. Um, Anyone want a VB? Just put it there. He uh, takes one. And, oh, like, I'll take one. Cracks it open and tastes it. Why is it so sweet? He's like looking at the ingredients. Why is there so much sugar in my beer? Yes. <laughs> what is. And he like slowly like puts it in the sand, like puts it like a little bit further away. <laughs> liquid joy, my like, friend, liquid joy. Why how would I want pop if I'm gonna have a beer? It's an acquired taste, I'll give you that, but that's it. You and then get slowly pours it into a different into like a different pot to like use for cooking. <laughs> Alright, I won't take that personally. <laughs> Olivia is going to see this interaction and she's just going to tug at Vesper's sleeve and be like, so, uh, you said you wanted to talk. Uh, Vesper leans back and is kind of propped up against a, a small, um, hillock in the sand is watching the ward and Ebenezer half arguing, half kind of just playful, like, just being playful in the, the like, starts of the breakers of the, the water. He's like, oh, now. Okay. An old man just enjoy some time. An old man. Vesper, you're like ten years old. He looks at you and you look at him and there is a feeling of just he is Weaver plus time and Weaver was around like early to mid 50s when you met him at uh, Mercer's Creek, 60s when he died and Vesper's looking into that 60 to 70 kind of area where he looks young but he looks weary he looks weary at the same time and he kind of smiles yeah yeah she's just gonna pat him on the head he walk off. He closes his eyes and leans back and kind of like folds his hands over his chest. 
you still can see the wound of where the, the knife stabbed him and where the different stuff, he, he isn't healing. Mm. He isn't returning back to normal. Yep. Oh. Uh, all right, Cavendish, can you just turn face that way? Huh. Because man, the lighting is really good and your hair doesn't look awful right now. So I'm just going to draw you. <laughs> all righty then. Yep. Hold on a second. Do you take one of the VBs? How old are you again? I'll be 20 in November. And yes, I did take one. He's like, I can't remember if that's legal. <laughs> <laughs> I've had too many. I don't know what year it is. Oh, there we hand. go. Uh, not enough second. fingers. Okay. Yeah. Well, I fixed it, and then I think I broke it. Well, all right, my pencil's dead. That's fine. Uh, he throws down a few more uh, larger logs on the fire. Olivia, yes. tell us the story of your homeland. Give uh, us a story. Great old Canada. Uh, what great. do you want to know? Go on, weave us a tail. Oh, he crosses gosh. his legs and sits by the fire as he is pulling. Uh, he pulls out the, the big block of cheese and he's like slicing bits off of it. And <laughs> he's right. like throwing it to Hope and he's throwing it to Cavendish. And, and you taste it and it's like, this is like some of the best cheese you've ever had. It's really simple tasting, but it's like so good. Mm. This is before the story. If you don't, all right, if you don't listen to what I'm saying, I'll use you as the fishing pole, okay? Just, okay, thread that, no! Ah, okay. I, 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 you've really never done this before, have you? I've never heard of a fish before, to be honest. So, uh, it was late one autumn. Um, it's probably one of the better memories that I have of Mercy. Uh... Me and my friends, we were all meeting together in a forest um, near the river. We were going to go mushroom hunting. It was um, my friend Buddy's idea. Uh, he wanted to make some soup for the group. And uh, we all were going to do a fun, wholesome group activity. Um, I was really looking forward to it, to be honest. Uh, Willow, of course, had snuck a book. Um, or was it Jack? I think it might have been Jack, had snuck a book into um, Buddy's backpack on all kinds of mushrooms. And, of course, I was the only one who took the time to read about all of the different <laughs> kinds of mushrooms. Um, I hadn't quite gotten to the chapter about hallucinogenic mushrooms. Um, yeah. <laughs> let's just say that we successfully somehow lit a fire in the wet autumn leaves um, and managed to make a delicious soup. But we were all seeing things for a couple of hours in the forest. And by the time we snapped <laughs> out of it, it was completely pitch dark. Um, and I had to explain to my parents that I had been high on shrooms in the forest with my friends <laughs> unintentionally. What kind of people did you grow up with? I'm back in the scene now for some reason. Uh, and he just walked, up, walked over, just entirely defeated by Ward. Ward's still down there. He's, He's like, casting the fishing line up the beach. <laughs> He's like, oh, I'll be back in a minute. And he walks back over towards Ward. No. Well, turns him around again. To answer his question, the kind of friends that I hung out with, with the, they were the same kind of friends who inspired me to set a school on fire. So what? <laughs> it was my school, and it, oh it, my gosh, she was so badass. Look, Classic. I had a life before I had a kid. Classic <laughs> there were bush that fire. <laughs> <laughs> We've all started one. Yeah, come on, we've all hey, done it before. I've started. 
my brother started one. Uh, <laughs> of course you wouldn't have. Hickory, you're too respectable. Yeah, no, I'm fine. I haven't done that. Mm. I started a bushfire once. Really? 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 I don't believe it. Oh, do tell. I'll just, I'll just go and um, <clears throat> help, help Ward with the... Hope. No, no, I'm yep. all good no, now. I've figured it out. You're yeah, Ward's, Ward's fine. Hope, give us a story of your homeland. Come on. All right. Um, so, this this was uh, early years of being a Kelly. Uh, Olivia had forced Amelia to have some bonding time with me. And for some reason, she picked camping. And Amelia hates camping. <laughs> but we, we bought a secondhand tent and we headed off and it rained the whole time. <laughs> and there was a hole in the tent and she was trying so hard to stay positive, but we were miserable. <laughs> um, she forgot the food, classic. And, oh gosh, what else? Um, <laughs> man. Now who's distracted to cast Chester? <laughs> Sorry, I'm annoyed that there's no more wine. He no told you there was no more wine. As soon as this scene is done, I'm getting the other bottle. Okay. Um, yeah, so she forgot the food. So we went to go foraging and we found like two acorns. And that was it. It was the most miserable weekend of my <laughs> life. I was cold and wet. I'm pretty sure I had a fever. And when we came back, Olivia gave the biggest yelling to I've ever seen. Like... Worse than the time I nearly got expelled in oh, school. That it, was a time. <laughs> yeah, that was a time. Uh, but man, yeah, mad respects for Amelia after that because she tried so hard to make sure I didn't hate her. Mm. It was so easy to hate her in that moment. But yeah. It was wonderful to watch. <laughs> I loved every second. Oh, my favorite. My favorite shoes were ruined. Very good, very good. Ward! Ward, give us a story of your homelands. Give us a story of something you've seen while standing in the field. <laughs> Gordon. Um, Tell us how you met Hugen Mugen. Is he too far away? He's, you're, you're like, we're near, we're like... I feel like you've come back meters, and yeah. Ebenezer is now catching the fish. Yeah, like we're like four or five now. meters away from the breaking, like, yeah. of the... Hmm. Uh, you see now Ward, because he was getting into the water, he's basically taken off most of the clothes uh, that he was wearing. Oh, naked. So, so he's he's kind of just a stick man now. Um, like, he, he did the whole, like, roll the pants up uh, thing. And just, well, I, I float. That's, that's a new discovery. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a bit of, like, seaweed just, like, clinging to one arm. Explains why I haven't seen these f- fish. <laughs> <laughs> Fish. <laughs> um, I, I can't remember how I met Hugin and Moonin. Does do you remember Moonin? No, no, no. We switched to almonds now. They're healthier. Ah! I, I will not have that ah! sass from you. Go ah! go fly off and do this relaxation thing. Both of you. They kind of just like... Oh. <laughs> like fine, fine, fine. And he like hands them each like a walnut each. 
Um, it's like, no, I'm, relax, do whatever you guys like to do. Um, I, I'm sorry, my dear Heath, I don't think I really get this concept of uh, storytelling. Could you explain it a bit more to me? Heath leans back near the fire. He's still waiting for a fish. He's got like a saucepan on the on the fire. He's <laughs> waiting for a fish. And he's back up. Well, where I would come from, there's no point in walking if you don't have a story. There's no point in marching if you don't have a story. There's no point in building a fire if you don't have a story. There's no point in having a meal if you don't have a story. Ebenezer joins the group again with a very disappointingly small fish on the end of the line, which he unhooks and hands to Heath. See, the thing is, Ward, at the end of the day, we can't take anything with us. When we're, when we're done, when we go, we can't take anything with us. The only thing we've got is the memories we made along the way and the people that we got to share those with. So that's, that's the point of telling stories, right, Heath? Is that what you're getting at? It's the point, but it's also... What's the point of seeking out others if you're not there to tell a story? Stories are what bind us. Stories are what hold us. If you're an army marching out towards an immeasurable foe, like the many that I've seen, those days of marching of hundreds of thousands. If you don't have stories to unite you, then there's no soul, there's no harmony, there's no greater ambition. There's nothing to keep you going. There's nothing to keep you going, but there's nothing to keep you united. Otherwise, you're just all individuals fighting for your little home. You're not fighting for the kingdom. You're not fighting for the cause. You're not fighting for your brothers and your sisters. And when you get home, after all the bloodshed and the killing and the people have died, what have you got left? You've got that story. You and the boys marching over the hill towards the, the unknown enemy. And there's a glory in that. And there's not a glory in that fish. And he stands up. Uh, hey, Chris, we're going to go find some muscles. Um, Come on. No, it's all right. I think, I've got it. I think I've got the hang of it now. Nat 12. Okay, so uh, Ebenezer's going to head out back towards Has more fish. Has anyone seen no, the hook? I rolled a nat 12. You're, You're going to have another fish? She, she went fishing. You went fishing? She found a good fish. I, I did you, roll. I got a get? five. What did you find? What did you find? Um, in these waters, would Barramundi... <laughs> No, Barramundi would no. not be in this. I'm gonna say this is, oh, this geez, is mate, that'd like, go with the VB. This is like pretty island good, or something. Yeah, this is like uh, Mundi, northeast island waters whiting? type of thing. Would there be any whiting? Mm, that's more sandy. Mm. Can we Google? <laughs> Let's see. I will employ a lot of power. Employ Pick a shore. Pick I did, a northeast island. Northeast island? Of yeah. Ireland. Ireland. I, I, I thought <laughs> you were saying with an island. <laughs> And I'm like, which which island? Which island are you talking about? <laughs> Tasmania? Tasmania? Australia? No, not where can you uh, There is cod. There cod. is whiting. Oh. Okay, whiting. Sure. All right. Yeah. We'll say whiting. Whiting is good. She's I'm going to say for a natural 12, 
weighing like this big. It's a like huge enough to feed one. like a lot of people. For you viewers at home, you don't have. The it's like two aid. feet. Uh, he just it's like the size of a really much. big whiting. <laughs> the size of a really big fish. Half a meter. Yeah, it was between here and about there. About there. It's like you know. when you're yeah. measuring yeah. your TV, you're like, yeah, it's about that big. It's about that yeah, big. It's about, yeah. it's about that big. It's about that big of a TV, but half that. Yeah. But if you have a small TV, it's about that big. Yeah. yeah. So if you're Agreed. if you're listening and if you're driving, I'm sorry. Maybe, you don't have maybe you'll drive past somebody who's carrying a TV. <laughs> but, okay. but just have a look at that. It's mm. it's a bit smaller than that. Smaller than a large Twice as big plane. as a small TV, but half as big as a large one. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Anyway, okay. so she comes back holding this fish, being like, I did it. Uh, uh, Heath douses it in olive oil and uh, he uh, scales it, guts it, cleans it out, and he stuffs it full of um, some different like herbs you've seen growing along the beachside, as well as sliced lemon and a few other things as well, and he uh, puts it onto the, the frying pan and it sizzles as the skin immediately sticks because it's a cast iron, mm. but it's the idea that once it reaches a point of, of browning, it will be able to lift off. Nice. Ebenezer, while he's like prepping the fish, he pulls out this, you know, I don't know if anyone's have seen the leather rolls that you keep chisels in? Mm. Mm-hmm. He pulls out one of those that's like twice as long as it should be and like, brrr, like rolls it out along the sand and it's just little glass containers of just spices just mm. any spice oh, or nice. seasoning you can imagine he's like what do you have <laughs> he's yeah, like passing stuff to he yeah well he will take um lemon zest he'll take dill seed uh what else will i take um i've got it all fennel mm. i'll take some um a little bit of fennel i'll take some red pepper uh some pe- uh black pepper and yeah just some chili it's it's a be- it's like surgery it's like this beautiful yeah. Mm. It's like um, if anyone's seen the fifth Harry Potter, how Snape keeps different wands in like a scabbard holder. It's like what you would keep pencils in. Like he unfurls and takes uh, and this takes different takes different fan. wands out for different occasions in the <laughs> yeah, it's scenes that, where he's like spices. dissecting Harry's mind. It's like that thing of taking yeah. out different wands. Wow! Wow! Um, having caught the fish that is probably about a third of Olivia's size, <laughs> uh, she's gonna go sit down next. That's to another way Vesper you can measure it just if, you, if you don't have a TV. On. Yeah, yeah, just a third of a size. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Hickory uh, and Heath find a handful of mussels, and Heath gets he puts a larger pot on the next to the fire, and he chucks olive oil into it. He chucks uh, a diced shallot, a heap of garlic, and some white wine as well in, and dumps the mussels in, and begins uh, tossing and turning them. He chucks in some uh, different herbs, a lot of salt, a lot of pepper, and it's just turning them as well. Is there any other conversations? Olivia's resting her head on Vesper's shoulder, being like, look at us being a family. Uh, The ward uh, kind of, you know, digested the things you have said, and he's just been sitting silently, uh, kind of in that, like, uh, where his butt would be if he had a butt. (laughs) Like, sitting down with, like, the knees up. And the hands kind of draped on the knees. That, like like that hugging his knees a little bit. Not quite hugging, but more just... Caressing. <laughs> caressing, caressing his wooden legs. Um, nice legs I got here. So, so thin, so skinny. Um, and yeah, he's just been sitting, staring at the fire. Uh, there's, I imagine, a, a moment's break of silence where he just... I have not memory nor even thought 
to call my own. But, well, I don't have a homeland either. I search for it, but I have a story from my searchings. Well, let's hear it. It was a time ago, I can't say for sure. Um, I believe before I met Hugin and Moomin. I can't remember them being there, although I can't remember anything. Uh, it's, uh, I was out somewhere, perhaps a field, I would assume, tending to uh, scarecrow things, and I found myself caught in a bush. And I sat there, well, more stuck there, before I had these arms. <laughs> uh, uh, oil. You're um, oiling wood. Let me just point that. We haven't established how the joints in these <laughs> work. Um, I'm just imagining, if anyone's played The Long Dark... There's this amazing sound effect whenever you pick up wood or sticks. There's this, like, log sound. I'm just imagining that every time you talk in the background. It's like, thunk, thunk, thunk. Nice. <laughs> but only when you're talking. <laughs> I, I sat there for Lord knows how long. I remember the nights and the days. They turned and turned and turned. Or at least I assume that... Light went to dark and dark went to light, as it so does every day. Mm -hmm. uh, until, eventually, I was pulled out from the bush. I saw, or there was a, a girl, I remember. She pulled me out of the bush, yes. And, uh, well, then she led me along to a small tree. And the tree was hollow, and inside the tree were many books. And she told me stories. Stories of stories. And one of them I do believe in quite fondly. The story of a hero. The... Well, I, it was hard to make out, I think, the pictures, but she described them well. And the hero fought against monster and demon. And he saved, he saved the, the helpless. And he protected those who needed protecting. And I thought, as much as a scarecrow can, that... Well, isn't that who I am? A scarecrow in his field protecting that which he protects. So I think that was probably the day I saw myself first as the hero. That, that girl reading stories. And that is the power of a story. It helps you see yourself in a different way. Hickory sitting there bawling his eyes out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Hickory. 
<laughs> Don't cut an onion. The condensation on my dicing onions. The condensation on my VB bottle has been replaced with my salty tea. <laughs> well, I'm glad to know I've gotten the spirit of it, uh, but I'm afraid that I. I don't think I have the end in my mind. Uh, memories are still new and the thoughts are still new and if Hugin and Moonen weren't there, uh, it may have never even happened. But I am always caught with one, one thing and that's a song. I believe she sang me a song, a song from the book she read. It well, was the it. song of a lonesome hero. Was sorry, was that? Sing it. Let's hear. Do you remember it? Of course. I sing it all the time. It goes, I am but a lonesome hero who has not the time for dance. My lord, my light who guides me through distant foreign lands. When evil sees me coming, I'll raise my mighty hand. Strike them down for fellow man, then lonesome once again. Hey. That, that has always stuck with me. Through thick and thin, through Hugin and Moonin, through all of you lot. That, that persists. I'll raise a glass to that. That's wonderful. Hey. He f- breaks open the, the the red wine and pours you all uh, glasses as the sun is beginning to set over the ocean. The the fish is sizzling. He's turned it now. The mussels are, are popping open. He's slicing uh, big hunks of crusty bread and slathering butter over them and putting them in different bowls. I'll say say what you will first. That's it. Oh, right. Uh, you pour Ward the wine and he kind of looks at Heath and goes, Say, dear Heath, do you think I could get a mouth to partake in these small pleasantries? Uh, he, he stands up. <laughs> I don't know how that would work. He doesn't, no. he does not have a head. He kind of like points like, it's kind of like two joints here and here. And, Please keep going. That's not disruptive at all. Please continue. Um, that might be more Anne's area. I can try. And there's a tune, and you feel a, a, an incredible pain as there are two joints added to either, to either side of your jaw. But he, he, he's, I imagine still at this point, he's just a neck and his head yeah. is just the attachment on top. Yeah. So He's added two joints to the attachment to on the top. Attach- uh. He just pinches the glass and the wine just like runs down. Like, ah, lovely. He just puts it to his mouth. Uh, well, I guess he's. He puts neck. it to his neck and kind of taps as you, it there. As you do so, the joints disappear. And he kind of ah. like pats on his head. Yeah, I think that might be uh, more Anne's expertise. Well, che- cheers then. Cheers. 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 Hey! Right. Uh, the the fish is still a little while off, and drink Heath, this for me, please. I will. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, Heath looks to Vesper. Vesper, 
Tell us the story of your homeland. Olivia lifts, lifts her head off of his shoulder and she immediately looks at him like, yes, do it. <laughs> story time with Ghost Dad. Vesper scratches his cheek a little bit. Was around. Uh, my memory isn't so good anymore. Well, he's a stick, so... I feel that. I don't remember the coming and goings of moments in my mind. There are all pockets of knowledge, but even they are... breaking at the seams. But I remember the faces. A long time ago, when I was Weaver. I had a party like this. We were a band of hunters, brothers and sisters trained in the ancient arts. We had a, a herbologist. We had the first of their kind, created by Weaver, myself, a gunslinger, because in the old hunter arts, was created before firearms and I created a, a way for us to be able to utilize that in our battle systems. We had, and he looks toward, a bulwark, the front of the pack, the shield bearer, one who could take the hits and give them back. We had the one that would move in the shadows come and go. We never really knew where, the, where exactly he was, but he was always at the right place at the right time. And then we had the hunter. We had me. He looks to Olivia. The bravest of all. The captain of the team. They may not be at the front, but they're at the center. They hit the hardest, and they command the most. We came and we went. We saw distant lands. We conquered great beasts. The word glory is so overused, but those were glorious days. I remember that glory. I can still bask in it today. Even though their faces are smudged. And I don't quite remember their names. I would have died for any of them. As I would for any of you. Olivia just gives him a squeeze around the shoulders. And here I thought you despised me. No, that's Heath. <laughs> Heath nods. Yes, yes, that's me. Ah. <laughs> well, the Heath. teams come and gone. Uh, hey. The teams. Hey. Sorry, I'm choosing Heath, a lot, but again. I love it. Oh, let me have another sip of that. <laughs> Heath, what about you? Do you have a story of, of your old country? Um... Oh, that's hard to sell. <laughs> well, the old land, the old land, the motherland. It's hard. I was born in this land. He kind of runs his hand through the sand, but it's not home. 
It's another land that calls to my very soul. You're not talking about Scotland. No, 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 yeah. <laughs> okay, no. I was worried for a second. Yeah. No, not Scotland and not, not the Welsh either. Um, That's all right. No. It's like a homesickness you just can't ever get the grasp of. It. My very spirit just cries out for it every day. The land of the Fae. My home. My kin. But stories alone can't sell that land. You have to see it to believe it. He rises and he dusts the sand off himself and he takes from his pocket a full pack of his blue cigarettes and he empties them out onto the fire. They land and they sizzle and they give out blue smoke. He kicks his foot into the center of the fire and breaks it apart a little bit and he steps out into the middle of the fire. So the lay the flames lick around him but not quite reaching close enough to burn him as the blue smoke blooms out and he waves his hand around and it begins to encircle everyone and he kind of beckons for you all to rise one by one you all stand up uh, glasses of wine still in your hand and the smoke billows around and around how do I start of a land on high and the smoke begins to take form and take colour and you see the land of the Fae you see great reaching heights you see great forests the deepest of ravines the darkest of dungeons the highest of heights and music begins to come to you music you don't fully understand it beats you see the sand move around you this orchestral just whipping around and around the drums, the violins, the music coming in and out of your soul as you see these great forests, these plains, these kingdoms. And you hear Heath's voice. It was a land greater than any other. Kings wiser than any. Lords braver than any. Great swordsmen, those who knew the land knew how to manage it, knew how to lead it. You swing down into forests, the deepest yet highest and bravest of forests. It conquered every land which it reached out to. As you move through the forests, you see hundreds of bridges from tree to tree to tree to tree to tree. And you see a boy running along it, holding a wooden sword. He's running past creatures you don't fully comprehend but you see other creatures with him they're not fully human they are different they're entirely different you don't fully comprehend them I was there from a young age I was there with the other champions the other stewards called for a higher purpose called for a greater good we served we worked but we played how we played in those fields in the sun have you ever tasted honeysuckle so sweet they just filled your mouth and it was all that you could ask for all you could hope for 
we swing past uh, these different bridges and we come to what must be the kingdom of the forest. But it is not a castle, it is not what you would typically expect of a, a giant tree. It is a cavern built amongst the roots of the very forest where the dirt has been entirely dug away. You see lights, you see fire, you see dancing, you see music. We swing past this and we see kingdoms of old, we see horsemen, we see dragons, we see the world of the Fae. We see Heath atop a great statue. He sits atop it with a girl of a similar age. She's wearing a gown of gold and you can only assume that she is a princess of this kingdom. And we swing past it, we swing deeper, we swing further, we see mountaintops, we see ravines, we see the most glorious land. When you have tasted the sweetest, when you've seen the highest, when you've seen the lowest, when you've seen the pure land, where the soul burns clean, where the writing is true, where you can holler and wail, echo runs stale. What a land on high. What a land so true. Cigarettes burn out, and the smoke fades, and he steps out from the fire. You look over to Ebenezer, and you see that he is crying. He has tears coming down his face, and it's... You notice pretty quickly, it's tears of just complete overwhelm and joy and amazement and wonder. And he's just there holding his head in his hands. And eventually he kind of wipes the bottom of his eyes and his nose and he looks up to Heath and he says, Heath, is there, is there any way, is there any way for me to go there one day? Will, will, Will I ever see that for real with my own eyes? Heath pats you on the shoulder and he sits down next to you and he holds up his glass. Boyo, when you come from the land that we do, it's all around you. And when you find folk, it's all around you as well. But hey, maybe one day. He taps his glass against yours. You'll see the land on high. Ebenezer smiles, sits back down, cleans his glasses. I hope so. I hope so. I hope so too. It would be a glorious day for all of you. But I think the fish is done. Hey. Oh, wonderful dinner. You know, I think, I think I've got this concept down now. Which which one is that? What? The fish. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, uh, Heath dishes out the food. Uh, there's um, 
oysters cooked in white wine and garlic. They've popped open. They are uh, perfect. They are natural oysters with crusty bread that you dip in with it. There is, uh, was, was it whiting? Um, it is rather bony, but you pick out the bones. The, the flesh is sweet. There is uh, zangy. It is that, that taste of dill and that slight bit of heat from the, the pepper and the chili. It is glorious. And the embers ascend into the air on the perfect night. <laughs>